Life is short, too short for many of us. Welcome to It's About Time, helping you make the most of life in the days you have. I'm your host, Katherine Hammond, and my experience as an estate attorney, working with clients professionally, while also living a very real, sometimes painful life has taught me a lot. You don't have to do the tricky parts of life alone. Here in this space, we navigate them together. This podcast helps you live as fully, bravely, and beautifully as possible in the ups and downs of your real life. This is a place to make the most of life when you don't have forever. And let's face it, none of us has forever. Welcome. Let's dive in. So Donna, you are somebody who has been playing with a word that a lot of people are afraid to play with these days. Tell us a little bit about the word and why. Okay. The word is crazy and it describes how I have often felt inside my head really for most of my adult in even maybe teenage life. And that's why even though now in the mental health community, they're straying away from the word crazy. They don't want people to feel labeled. And, you know, anything that that adds a stigma just makes it harder to heal and communicate. But I had to keep the word crazy in the title of my book because it is the best way to talk about um, the screeching in my head that I relate most to like monkeys in the zoo. When it's when when the voices in my head that are telling me I'm not good enough, not smart enough, not as um, fast as her. Um, that's the crazy making, uh, kind of, uh, mantra that keeps me from leaning into my strength and being who I'm actually created to be. So yeah, I'm keeping the word crazy, but what we're going to do is bring it out of the closet, talk about it and give everyone, um, permission to, um, be able to talk openly and candidly about how they're feeling between the ears And to also let somebody else know, hey, I see that you're in distress. Bringing crazy out of the closet, that that feels important to me because it doesn't matter what everybody else is saying, the words that other people are using today. I grew up having the voice in my head telling me that I was crazy, that there was something wrong with me. When did you first identify that you had a voice in your head? You know, I say teenage years, but it it really started younger than that. I grew up in an alcoholic home. And I think one of the main reasons I wanted to write this book is to really try to redeem um, what my mother lost in her life. She, she was, um, in and out of mental institutions. And so I had an early introduction to crazy and she was in and out of psych units and sometimes for longer periods of time and coming home really in the 1970s, the way the doctors were solving this was with massive amounts of Valium. So I really never had my mother when she was with me. And then when I was 12, she decided to move out. Actually, I've heard after I'd ran this manuscript past my sisters that my dad kicked her out. So um, I'd say that those monkeys started pretty early, that crazy mantra, you know, when you have an alcoholic home, 
anything you say, no matter how um, really innocent it is, it can be mistaken. And when somebody is um, not in control of their senses, then um, it, it's crazy making, just trying to live a normal life and be a kid. I would get in trouble just for being too loud or for playing in what we called the rompus room, the recreation room. Um, my mom would just lose it and then the belt would come out. So yeah, that was just crazy making. I, you and I have some real similarities in our story. Yeah. I'm wondering what the family conversation was when all of this was happening. Did anybody acknowledge it or were you left as many people are to just process it and wonder whether this is normal? This is exactly why, Catherine, I wanted to write a book that pulls the conversation out into the light because our family never talked about it. In fact, the only thing we talked about is whether mom or dad were in a good mood and whether we should even dare to ask them a question or not. We really didn't talk as a family. And by the time I was old enough to know what's going on, my two older sisters were already moved out of the house. So there were four of us and the two older sisters really had a different childhood than I did. They grew up in a house with sober parents who were running a business and a little family of four with a dog. But by the time I came along, my mom and dad were both full blown into alcoholism and my sisters were gone. So the only thing we really talked about was whether they needed to come and rescue us because the house was unsafe. Mm. And so what did you think about the situation as you were left to process it yourself? Do you remember what well, you thought back then? When you're a kid and it's all that, you know, um, all your, all I could ever process was hoping I could get to the end of the day without being hit or without my sister being beaten. I would try to stay under the radar. And um, really, if I had a problem in my life, I very rarely would bring it up to an adult because I felt like they had enough problems of their own. Hmm. So my sister and I talked a lot. <laughs> and we shared a bed and we would talk at night, but we didn't know. We had no equipping. We, we had no idea how to even process what was going on. And often what happens with kids who don't have any way of processing their feelings about what's happening is that they think that it's just our fault. And honestly, both of us um, have admitted in adulthood that um, there's just a certain element when you have alcoholic parents that kids take responsibility for it because they think, well, there must be something wrong with me or mom would be nicer to me or, you know, there must be something wrong with me or I wouldn't be so loud when I'm playing and get in trouble, you know? So um, that um, formed neurocircuitry in my brain. I know for sure. And I'm not going to speak for my sister, Paula, but in my brain, that neurocircuitry started from a really young age to react to any discomfort as if it's my fault. Hmm. And I have seen it manifest in the workplace in my 35 years of being a professional. And it has taken me that long to really start to develop some ways of rewiring that neurocircuitry. Because if I, if I try to uh, take responsibility for everything that goes wrong. Just imagine the disease that that's causing in my body. And you went through health challenges yourself. Um, 
I, I know that you, you understand how disease can take root as a result of stress. Absolutely. And I, I have had the pleasure of watching some of your career evolution over the last 15 years or so, however long we've known each other. Mm -hmm. And you work with a lot of senior leaders. Yeah. And I'm wondering what, what does this look like in other women? How, how can you tell from the outside of somebody else or looking at yourself and your own behavior that maybe there are some things in there, some beliefs, some monkeys that still need to be wrestled with. Right. Or made friends with. Um, it's a constant process of making friends with the monkeys, but I have a few interesting stories to tell. And one of them was like the beginning of um, what I call my crash um, last year. I mean, I wouldn't have had time to finish the book if I hadn't decided to leave my job. Um, I came out of my colleague's office and was still talking to her while I was in motion. And as I turned around, I ran into a wall. And she was sitting right there and our boss was right out in the hallway and they started laughing like, Donna, you just walked into a wall. And I just made some joke about when did they put that wall there? And I went in my office and cried. I just went, I'm so tired. I'm in such a deep state of brain fog that I'm walking into walls. And I had people tell me when we we're in meetings and I'm looking at my computer and squinting. I wasn't squinting because my eyes were bad. I was squinting because the dysfunction in my body was causing these intense headaches that made it hard to look at a screen. And these are the, the, I, I talk about these symptoms because these are the kinds of things that I look for in other people. Um, I remember when somebody saw me um, squinting at the screen, she said, when's the last time you had an eye checkup? But um, honestly, the answer, the, the question to ask in that case is you look really uh, stressed right now. Is everything okay? Um, when I walked into a wall, it would have been really great for someone to say, I think you need to take a little time off, but we're just going, going, going at such a rapid pace. Um, I think it's hard to suggest that when you, everyone is on deadline, but, um, I have friends and family members who are now at such a high level of stress that they're really at risk of not being able to do their job. So how long do we press? before we end up crashing and burning because we never stop to take care of our bodies. So when, when somebody is calling in sick frequently, it could be because they have sick kids or maybe they don't have kids. Maybe there's something else going on. Um, I think it's always good to ask a question and to follow up. If somebody saw one time I was standing in the hall waiting for a meeting and he could tell I was, really distraught. It was just showing on my face. I was on the verge of tears. And he said, what's going on? And I said, my husband's having a really hard time with um, chronic illness. He's been in pain for five years and it's just really starting to mount. And it's impacting both of us because I care so deeply to, to, to find a solution. And he goes, wow, sorry to hear that. <laughs> End of story. End of story. Um, one time I walked into a meeting 
after just having an encounter with my husband where I was really concerned and really um, on the way to work calling different resources to try to schedule an appointment. And I couldn't control my emotions in that case. And the meeting went on. Finally, at one point when I got up to get a new box of Kleenex, somebody came around and said, if you need to go home, I think you should go ahead and just slip out. And I did. Um, the, what's what's really sad is that there's no permission in that context to say, can we take a human pause and let our colleague know that we'd like to support her? And this is why um, it was really important to me and meaningful to me um, when I came back to work um, the next day, somebody stopped in my office and um, opened the door and closed it behind her and said, I know you're in distress and I see you. And I just want you to know that I think you're awesome. And I just want to know what I can do to help. And I want you to know that you have support with me. That meant a whole lot to me. What What was that like for you in that moment? In that moment, Um, I think it was the first female who reached a hand out to say, let me know what I can do. And I felt like I finally had a safe place, someone I could text and say, meet me in the hall, or uh, can we go for a walk? Because what happens in the workplace is we know how to act like a grown-up, and we know that it's not a good idea to, to cry in a meeting. And if somebody does dissolve into tears. The question is not what's wrong with you. (laughs) The question is what's going on? What can I do to help you? Can we create some space? Can we give you some time to go sort, sort things out? And I, I really hope that by elevating this conversation about mental well-being in the workplace, we can see each other in distress. And I'm not saying that every workplace needs to provide lots of accommodations for people who are in any kind of mental distress. But when you think about the compound impact of having a family with chronic illness and also having just the stress of a job, maybe multiple responsibilities, maybe there's a team member out and you're doubling duty. um, Creating some space for that person to be human is just good humanity. And you're a business owner, Catherine, I know you, you know, if somebody can't show up to work and be authentic or be honest about what's going on in their life, it's really hard for you to even provide a positive workplace. Uh, it's really best for everybody if that person can have some time to heal. And then you have the benefit of a quality employee who is healthy rather than firing someone who's um, temporarily incompetent and having to ramp up and replace them because research is saying it's like two and a half times their salary is the cost to replace somebody, ramp up a new employee, plus the time out of office and the time that other coworkers have to double up on the responsibility until you find that replacement. Right. The, the cost is huge and the cost in the knowledge base, that's yeah. the, the cost in expertise, the cost in team cohesiveness, All of that suffers. And uh, I lead a team of 12 and I would guess that, you know, on an average day, probably more than half of them are going through something that has their mind a little bit occupied somewhere else. 
maybe with fear or worry or uh, anticipation or anxiety or something. It, I, how, how many people in the workplace are going through something, something mild to moderate to really stressful? Yeah. I don't imagine that there are many people who aren't going through something. And I'm not uh, advocating that we take 30 minutes out of every meeting to let everyone share their feelings. <laughs> you know, that's not going to be productive. But um, there are activities that I've seen um, demonstrated in high-performing companies where they uh, take a human moment to pause or take a deep breath, um, sometimes to acknowledge something really hard that's going on, but there's it's time-gated and it doesn't interfere with the meeting. It's just part of process of really uh, acknowledging we got humans in the room here. We have work to do. This is what we're going to accomplish today. And sometimes I think it could be as easy as if you have something on your heart that you just need to hang out there and put on a sticky note in the parking lot. That's what we call when I'm leading a kind of a group session. If there's something that comes up that's not relative to the subject at hand, we put that on a parking lot board so that we can come back around to it another time. Mm. So in even having an opportunity for people to park their feelings by physically putting a sticky note on the board, I think can really help psychologically to say, okay, this is heavy and I'm going to deal with it when I leave the room or I'm going to deal with it when I leave work. Um, but for now, I'm going to park it and I'm going to focus on this problem that we're here to solve. In fact, um, one of my colleagues once um, lost her dad and she had a few days to go before she left for the funeral. and. Um, several people said, you don't need to come to work. We can, we can handle this for you. We can give you a break. And she said, it really is a good distraction for me to be at work. I don't want to be at home just thinking about everything right now. So it's good to acknowledge that too. We shouldn't should on anybody on how they grieve. Um, if somebody wants to be distracted by work, I would let them be distracted. Sometimes <laughs> a distraction is really helpful. And mm -hmm. as long as we take space later yeah. to come back and, and feel. And that's the important thing. We really do need time to grieve, uh, no matter what it is, whether it's a loss or uh, a, a chronic illness, we need to grieve the loss of what we used to call normal. It's, it's still a grieving process. Why don't we do a better job in the workplace of asking each other how we're really doing and supporting each other in the, mm -hmm. in the way that we need you. you I, I've gone through, well, I've gone through a, a number of things, you know, yeah. since I founded my business. And I remember when my husband, Brian's cancer came back, Yeah, there was not a single person in the office who asked me how I was doing. Oh, it was quite wow. stunning. Why, wow. Why do we do that? You know, I asked that. Um, I was um, talking with somebody about how stunned I was that I was in the office one day and not the next. And nobody called or texted, not one. And she said, you know, I think 
if if people don't know what to say, they would just rather avoid the conversation. They might be afraid of making you upset. They might be afraid that you think that if they bring it up in the workplace, that it's unprofessional. And honestly, I think this is why it's so important that we raise the conversation, that we can even have an open conversation in staff meetings where we can be vulnerable because if somebody leads, others will follow. But if, if we don't talk about it, then it, it stays in the closet. And what happens when something's growing in the closet, it gets moldy. <laughs> it's not, it's not good. So I think we just need to, uh, there are um, ways to elevate the conversation that are comfortable. There's a program called mental health first aid that teaches you how to look for people at risk and how to have a conversation with them. That's non-threatening and respectful, but it just gives you an avenue to start that conversation. What, what drew you to leadership in the first place? Well, in terms of leadership coaching specifically, I was, yeah, leadership and leadership coaching because you you've done both and you have somehow put yourself out there in positions that uh, people would describe as vulnerable. I think we're vulnerable all the time. Sometimes we just feel it more than others, Right. but you, you have put yourself out there in a lot of ways and now as a, as a coach, as a guide, as a handholder with leaders? Well, and it's true. Um, when I was working in a leadership capacity in an executive position, I knew I couldn't put this book out while I had that job because it was a very visible position. I was in the paper all the time. And every opinion I ever stated was either quoted in a, in a newspaper or um, talked about, you know, in the grapevine. And I knew that I could not be totally vulnerable in that context. And um, so it's in a way um, now that um, I'm working in the family business, I have a little bit more control over what kind of impressions um, are important in, in our life. Um, I think it's important that I pull all those monkeys out of the closet and show what vulnerability looks like because I'm not trying to impress anyone anymore. And the things I talk about in my book are are very personal and kind of shocking. But you know what? Everyone who has read it so far has told me thank you for Mm -hmm. giving us a platform to talk about this because I have no other place to go. And um the reason I went to leadership coaching was because I was working in an organization where um, I would really like to see more people act like grownups. And I know that I didn't get equipping. You and I talk about having a similar childhood. No one was teaching me emotional regulation when I was a kid. No one was teaching me how to manage my emotions. Um, No one was teaching me what's appropriate or not appropriate. And Without that guidance, once we get to those upper leadership levels, we're just like, oh no, well, I'm, I'm just, I'm going for it. (laughs) And it's, it's, um, it's hard to know how to lead. It's hard to know how to lead when we're not sure if people even respect us, 
because those monkeys start to go nuts um, between the ears. Honestly, I've suffered through that in several different positions in my life where um, I, I just can't get people to do what I ask them to do. And, and instead of holding them accountable, I imagine in my head, it's because they don't respect me. Isn't that, isn't that the craziest? And this is why I like to use the word crazy because I don't think it's true. It's just what, it's the lie that I'm believing. And so many of us leaders have these voices, have these monkeys, and we mm -hmm. think it's only us. And the higher we go in leadership roles, the more isolated we become and the more dangerous the monkeys and the loneliness and the isolation become. It's so true, especially at those top levels. And, um, you know, Catherine, that's exactly why I said yes to something that is totally crazy. Cause I, as if I don't have enough going on right now, I'm starting a local chapter in Colorado Springs for a women president's organization because women at that level don't have a peer group. Many of us in executive leadership um, can't really go to somebody in the office to say, okay, I just need to let somebody know this is going on. And, you know, when we have to put on that veneer, it's exhausting and we bear that um, stress in our bodies too. So we all need a place where we can relate with people uh, in a really safe way. Right. And, and, um, and remember who we are. Right. Right. Well, in, it was actually in my, um, it was a training for the um, WPO local group leaders, all very accomplished women, some of them still executives, some of them retired executives, highly accomplished women. And we had a, a session on confidence and we had a discussion group afterwards. And when we sat down in our discussion group, I was, I'm very rarely not the first one to talk. I always have something to say. And I said, I walked into here imagining that none of you have a problem with confidence, that I'm probably the only one. And they erupted in laughter all the way around the table. Like, yeah, isn't that what we believe? This is why we have to talk about it. It's great to have something in the workplace where you can, you know, have that conversation, have that training so that everyone can know, even at the top level, even the CEO has moments where she lacks confidence. And then we talk about how we equip each other to be decisive and do the things we need to do to mm. move business forward. What an important conversation. And I'm thinking in this moment about ways that I would like to do that better with my own team to bring that out. I keep things very real with my team and I would like to offer opportunities to draw more of that out in them and to talk about more of the monkeys that happen for all of us. Right. I'm I'm curious, the name of this podcast is It's About Time with a, a recognition that we're here on earth for a limited amount of time. And I'm curious when your time on earth is done, what's the legacy that you want to leave? I want people to be able to talk about crazy in a normal conversation. And when somebody asks how you're doing today, you can just say crazy as usual. Cause Donna brought it out of the closet. I could talk about my monkeys at work because there's now a platform 
to be real. And that's why I published this under Honest Press, because if we can't be honest, what are we waiting for? I mean, are we waiting for retirement to finally be honest? Why not start being honest right now? I, I hope it gives more people freedom, freedom from bearing the weight of having to be perfect all the time. That's just, it's so painful. Yeah. You said something in there that really resonated for me. For, for me, some of the hardest moments in my life where there's, were those moments where I was going through something and didn't feel like I could be honest mm-hmm. about what was going on for, for whatever reason, most of it, you know, just in my own head, I'm sure none of the consequences, uh, would actually have happened had I said anything, Mm -hmm. but I think most of the time we don't feel like we can be honest about what's really going on. Looking for permission to be honest. You know, in my early career, I worked in public relations and, the reason I got out of PR is because everything was always about spin. Hmm. And even in leadership, we spin to protect our integrity or our ego. And I think there's a lot of respect for a leader who can be honest and, and transparent. And that doesn't mean we hang out all of our laundry, but we can be vulnerable to a point in order to um, bring the elephant out. I know I'm, I'm not trying to mix metaphors. Um, you can call it elephants or monkeys, but uh, we've got to be able to prance that out and and just be honest about it for a minute and say, here's what I'm dealing with today. And if you have feedback or insight on this, here's a place for you to provide feedback. Either that's an open door policy or you have some kind of a, a team chat. There are ways that people can provide uh, feedback in an anonymous way. Unfortunately, in the HR world, you have to provide that. And, um, but it helps because then sometimes you get the real answers and I'm with you, Catherine. I don't, I just wish more of us could, you know, even voice, you know, what you did about, um, Brian's cancer, um, say, you know, uh, here's what's going on with Brian's cancer <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's hard. And yes, you can ask me how I'm doing from time to time, and I'll be happy to tell you. And I'll let you know. I'll put up a shield if I really need to not talk about it today. Right. Yeah. So you hold your own boundaries. I have a coach who taught me something. Rich Litvin is his name, who taught me a a great way to gather a group of people together. And he does this with dinner parties. And it's one of my very favorite things to do. You go around the room and you ask everybody to share first. Right. The one thing I don't want you to know about me is. (laughs) And then. I love it. Right. And some people will keep it really shallow because they they don't know how deep they can go yet. But the Mm -hmm. deeper everybody goes, the the bond that gets created is just exponentially deeper. And then also also after that, the the thing that I want you to know about me is, um, Uh which, which balances it out a little bit. And it's, 
it's been stunning to me when I have asked that question in a room, what has happened with the walls that we all keep up? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I want another dinner party. I want to talk about that. <laughs> Let, let's do it. And w- we can do some of that. What, what does living life to the fullest mean to you? Oh, you know, it's been really the focus of my whole life, really. And when I started my coaching program, talking about holistic leadership, it was to acknowledge the fact that you have to bring your whole self to work, heart, soul, mind, strength, all of it. To disregard the spirit is to handicap your people. And it's important that we acknowledge what's going on holistically in our lives. You can't just diagnose a behavior without diagnosing the heart. And sometimes the heart is just, you know, a a mirror of the emotions. So it's just important that we provide some kind of an outlet for that. And in order not to have that um, take place in the course of doing business, we need some kind of a program where people can have access to help. And not just EAP, because I mean, you can call EAP and make an appointment two weeks from now, but how are you going to get from here to two weeks from now? That's we need the to question. find a way, Yeah, we need to find a way to help each other in that gap. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was just talking to somebody who said, "Gosh, the the copay is so high. I, I mean, no wonder people don't get mental health. I mean, you have to pay for the doctor, and you have to pay for the prescription, and then you have to pay for a therapist. It's expensive to get mental well being assistance, and it shouldn't be that inaccessible." She said, mm-hmm. "If I'm working as a professional in a well-paying job, imagine the number of people who need access to resources and can't get them. Right. That's why I think the company needs to go a little bit further in providing something that people can access on a, on a, um, like put the cookies on the lower shelf and <laughs> make it accessible at work in the moment so that we can get business done. I think I went on a rabbit trail there, but <laughs> I love rabbit trails that that's where all the fun happens mm-hmm. for our listeners. You are listeners who are resonating with what Donna is saying today you know what it's like to live with monkeys and elephants. And um, you, you've been there, especially, but let's talk specifically to women in senior leadership. Donna, what advice would you give to women senior leaders in the context of it's about time? It's about time you it's about time you find a group of women that you trust and i wouldn't say it has to be women i would say that we have a different level of vulnerability when it's woman to woman than it is in a mixed crowd so find a group of women you trust who you can convene with and um, share confidentially what's messed up or what you need help with And if you're not sure how to do that, then um, access some resources. Um, I'm going to be starting the speaking circuit this fall, just bringing together groups of service providers and mental well-being to demonstrate for companies what it can look like. 
So if you don't know where to start, I would say um, look at uh, Donna Carlson 360 on LinkedIn, get involved in one of the discussion groups we're doing on LinkedIn so that you can at least start to have access to some mm-hmm. resources and understand how to s- start some kind of a support group. And another way is uh, I'm providing access to other women through this um, gathering called Fridays at five. When you read the book, you'll see that there is this weekly meeting of two women every Friday at five. And don't worry, I'm not saying you have to meet every Friday at five because I'm sure everyone has much more important social engagements than that. But I'm going to be starting a series of Fridays at five in Colorado Springs and in certain cities throughout the U.S. just to demonstrate what Fridays at five can look like so that we can see an example. And I hosted my first one on July 28th in my living room. And everyone who came, number one, didn't know each other in the room and they were delighted. I can't believe I didn't know you. You know, it was just so Mm. fun to meet someone they didn't even know. But um, I did the uncomfortable thing of taking the, the conversation deep really fast. And every single one of them left saying, I've never had this experience before. I loved it. So um, I'm putting that out there as another alternative for people to learn how it's done. Uh, yes, uh, a place where people can come and have this experience without having to create it themselves. Exactly. And I'm going to be doing these LinkedIn groups just for those who, you know, geographically can't get together with us. And we will link to that in the, in the show notes. Yeah. What about for you, Donna? It's about time. I. (laughs) It's about time. I take my own advice and choose joy, even when circumstances are really dark. If, if I stay in the dark, then the, the monkeys just get louder. And what happens is that I deprive the world of all that I can bring to bring people together, to bring joy and happiness to other people, to bring friendship. Um, I have done that before when I'm, I've, Chronic depression is just something that has recurred in my life. And it's probably the reason why my mother was mentally ill. And I have decided I'm just not going to live that way. And there are days when um, I'm not doing so well. And those are the days that Catherine, you have the permission to say, Donna, what's going on? Where's Donna? Your light is out. (laughs) I'm going to um, choose joy to live a more authentic life so that hopefully other people can share their brilliance with the world. Yes. And may we surround ourselves with people who love us on the and respect us on the days when we're able to choose joy and on the days when we're not. And that's something that I have treasured about you since I first met you many years ago and something that gives you a unique ability in the work that you do with us women leaders who are going through things. Life is a roller coaster. Entrepreneurship is a roller coaster. Business is a roller coaster. It's all a roller coaster. And having somebody who won't judge me for feeling like I'm on a roller coaster, for feeling the twists and turns and, you know, incredible, uh, 
down, downward spirals is that's what carries me through on some of those days. Keeps your heart buoyant, huh? Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm glad to hear that. We will put a link in our show notes, both to your LinkedIn profile and to where we can order your book crazy as usual. What else should we know um, about how to get in touch with you? Well, um, as soon as we get off this call, I'm going to go back to um, Google support to see if I can get my website working, but um, keep checking because it's going to work. If not today, then hopefully tomorrow, crazyasusual.com. I've had that domain for years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, crazyasusual.com is where you can find updates on um, the book availability on Fridays at five. And I'm going to be launching a podcast in October, knock on wood. So Catherine, get ready to be on my podcast where you can tell a little bit of your crazy story. And we can help people to yank those monkeys out of the cage, give them a banana and tell them I've got it from here. Mm, Yeah. What a great metaphor. In in our final moments here, is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners? The main thing is I hope you uh, feel comfortable reaching out to me. My email is just as easy, Donna at crazyasusual.com. Let me know if you have a story to tell or if you need resources for your business or if you're interested with in connecting with women and just not sure how. I have connections in a lot of different cities. I'm going to be doing a tour with the book to start Fridays at five in different cities. So please do reach out and let me know um, how I can help you because all I, I'm, a, I'm a connector. I want to connect people with resources and I want to catalyze greater joy and greater results in the world. So let's do it together. Donna, thank you for sharing your heart, your experience, um, and who you really are um, with us today and in your book. Uh, Listeners, this is a book that you're going to want to read. There, There are parts of it that will resonate with absolutely everybody. I know it. So Donna, thank you so much for being here and for sharing you. Thank you, Catherine. So great to hang out with you. Thanks for joining us today. Please make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you could take just a couple of minutes to write a review of this podcast wherever you listen, that will help others find us here too. For more information and support for your real life, head to katherinehammond.life or follow me on Instagram. For estate planning in the state of Colorado, you'll find my estate planning and elder law firm, Hammond Law Group, at coloradoestateplan.com.